Uh, as we kind of get started this morning, I, I think nothing feels better than when you do like a home project, right? I mean, you, you come up with an idea, you have a, a plan, you put all your resources together, and, and then you see that project come to fruition. Uh, honestly, God's miraculous divine intervention not too long ago, we were able to purchase the house that we've been renting over the past five years. And maybe one of the big reasons we were able to do that is the house was built in 1970, and it still looks like it's in 1970, all right? And maybe that, that helped us quite a bit. Uh, one of the reasons I say that is if you go in our bathrooms, we don't talk about location. We talk about color. And so you're going to the beige bathroom or the gold bathroom or the blue bathroom. And again, some of you know what I'm talking about because you remember back in the day, and maybe this is your house now, but like we have a blue bathroom. That means everything is blue. The walls are blue. The cabinet's blue. The counter is blue. The tile is blue. The, the, sink, the sink is blue, the tub is blue, the tile in the sink or in the, the tub is blue, the toilet is blue, everything is blue in that bathroom. And so we call them by their, their colors. Now, we tell our kids, hey, we're not going to change this because at some point in time, this is actually going to come back in style. We're going to be cool <laughs> before everybody else. And so we're never going to touch those bathrooms. But we decided to do one thing. We decided we, we wanted to change the, the kitchen. And uh, the kitchen may have had an upgrade 30, 35 years ago, but it's pretty antiquated in many ways. And so we, we set aside some funds. We decided we were going to remodel it, and we came up with our plan and, and got our resources. And then we said, okay, we're going to take a week off for work. So Karen and I took a week off from here and got my parents to come up from North Carolina because they don't like to come when they just have to sit around. They like to come when they can work. And so we put them to work. And time we would wake up to the time we would go to bed, that's all we did. We, we just worked on that kitchen. We chose the colors. We, we put all the time and effort into it. And, and in the end, uh, I'm going to show you sort of a before and after. Here's the before of what the kitchen looked like. And you, you can tell that's been there decades. And uh, this was right when we moved in. And then this is what it looks like as of, sorry, what it looked like as of uh, last night. So, yeah. Well, yeah, thanks. We... Hey, nothing's fallen down yet. I put all those tiles in and they're still there. So, I mean, there are miracles that, that take place. But every time we walk in that room, we look at that and we're like, man, look at what we accomplished. Look at what we have done. And, and there's nothing better in life than when we do projects like this. And you've maybe done those in your home. Uh, you've done them outside your home. Maybe you, you did a garden. Maybe there was some work project where you've, you've put all these resources and ideas and plans together. And at the end, you accomplish something. You look at it. And again, you're like, well, look what we have done. Look at what I have done. Well, this morning, as we continue our One Hit Wonders series, we are going to look at a group of people who had this big project. And they wanted to put this project together. And they were, they were excited about it because of what it was going to mean to them. And and this is really sort of a strange story. Uh, if you were a kid and you grew up in church, you heard this story quite frequently. It was a little bit hard to really kind of figure out what was happening here because it was so strange. But we're going to look at this particular strange story today in this group of people in Genesis chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis 11. If not, of course, it'll be up here on the screen and you can follow along. Here's what it says, starting with verse 1. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia, and they settled there. 
Now, based on what we know from archaeological finds that are continuing to this day, this city was there around 3500 B.C., and there was this group of people who actually lived up in the highlands. They lived in the mountains, and they decided to come out of those mountains. They decided to move into the plains. Now, I think we have an image of what this place looked like. Uh, we're familiar with this from our world history class. This was known as Mesopotamia. Um, we have a lot of different words here, but there's Mesopotamia. It was this fertile crescent that was a part of that. But down here in the bottom right-hand corner, we have this area known as Sumer. And at this point of what we're talking about, we're talking about this place of Sumer. And then just above that, you see the name Babylon, the city of Babylon. That's more than likely the city that we're talking about. And Babylon's just the south of present-day Baghdad. Well, these people were moving down into this plain area because the soil was so much better than it was up in the mountainous areas. Uh, because, I mean, it's an agricultural society at that time. And so there's all these little sort of small city-states that are starting to, to pop up all around there. You see some of those names right there. Now, these city-states were really more like small villages. But this one city, Babylon, Babel, it, it, it takes off. Um, people are living there, people are moving there, and it really becomes known as one of the first urban societies ever. Uh, the people that are moving into this place, very much like Washington, D.C., everything they need is, is right there in the city. There's sort of these city rhythms that, that are happening. And over time, because this place is becoming a place that more people want to move to, I mean, immigration is happening, and the city continues to grow bigger and bigger. But here's what we read in verse 3. They, they decide that they're going to continue to do amazing things. They say, they begin saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. So as we kind of look at this, and again, as we look back at uh, or look forward to archaeological finds that we have in this particular region, um, we, we find there's reasons that people are actually moving to this city. One of the reasons is there's an active economy. Uh, again, this is an, is an agrarian society. Uh, they're producing so much barley there because of the land. Uh, they were producing about three times the amount of barley than anyone else at that time. And so when you're producing all of this, 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 these crops and this food, that means there's jobs. And so people are moving there because of these jobs, because there's work that they can do, because there's food, and because it also brings some wealth. And so there's a very active, booming economy there in this city, but there's also innovation. Again, as we look at uh, archaeological finds, uh, even some of the most recent ones, as they've looked there in this location, what they have found is these are where we find some of the earliest writings of, of all humanity. Uh, they also created, innovated, uh, brought these wheeled carts and invented them. And so there were these wheeled carts that they would pull around on these paved, like, cobblestone streets very much like you would find in old town alexandria on that, that one street there i mean th these are the things that they were able to innovate and again this is this is about 5500 years ago and they even found a microwave there i mean these people are way ahead of their time <laughs> i'm kidding about the microwave everything else is true um, the soil was great but here's the problem getting water there and so they developed irrigation systems and not only did they develop irrigation systems they like Hey, we kind of have waste. What do we do with that? They, they actually developed sewer systems too. And so again, this is like 5,500 years ago. There's these incredible inventions that are taking place. But maybe one of the greatest ones was the baked brick. Uh, and again, we find this all throughout the Mesopotamian area. 
But because they could bake these bricks, it meant that they could build these longer-lasting, durable, strong structures. And not only could they do these bricks, but as we know very much about that area even now, there's a lot of oil there, so there was tar that they would use for mortar to put these bricks together. And so there's all these innovations. There's not only this booming economy, there's these innovations that are happening, and people want to move to a place where it seems like things are happening and things are ahead of the times. But then there was one other piece to this. Because of what's going on there in the economy and these innovations, uh, life was pretty good. Uh, life there was, was comfortable. Again, archaeological finds. They found these homes that are made of bricks on the outside, but inside there's adobe all around them. Uh, and they, these, these homes, they, they weren't just like one room like we would kind of think. They actually had several rooms in them. They had furnishings in them, and some things we would expect, like carpets and, and, and pillows, but also tables and, and chairs. And, and as they continue to dig, they find that there's, in the wealthier homes, they had running water. Again, this is like 5,500 years ago. There's this, this incredible thing there, and these, these people want to be there because of all that's happening in this particular city. But they weren't done there. They were like, there's got to be more. And so look at verse 4. It says, then they said, come. Let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. You have this thriving city and all these amazing things are happening. All these people are moving there. The city is growing bigger and bigger. And the people that are in control, maybe the leaders, however they kind of had it set up at the time, they're looking around, they're like, how do we... How do we keep this? How do, how do we keep this together? How do we keep these people from not moving on? I mean, and really the question was, how do we control the people that we have? Because there's so much that's happening that, that's so good. We, we never want this to end. And, and so they came up with this plan to build this tower that would reach the heavens. Now, why? I mean, why would you want to build this tower? Well, one reason was they were trying to control God. They figured out, hey, if we can build this thing, and in those days um, where they were, you're in this, this city that's, that's on this plain, and God was thought to, or gods were thought to live in the mountaintops. Well, if you're down in this plain area, there are no mountaintops, and so what do we need to do? We need to build our own mountaintop. And so that's why they come up with this idea to build this mountaintop. Now, we have a picture up here of a ziggurat, and, and these were all over the place. It was kind of this large stair-step structure, and on the very top of it, there was a temple that, you know, you could worship your God there. And they decided, we're going to make the biggest one yet. And here's what that's going to allow us to do. We're going to be able to be closer to God. We're going to have better access to God. We can go up there and meet God when we want to, but if we don't want to deal with God, we don't have to. And so there was this control factor of, of God by, by building this. But as we continue to read here, we, we see that they wanted to bring fame to their city. That the reality was this tower wasn't about worshiping God and connecting with God all the time. It really was about them. It was about fame. We want to make a name for ourselves. We, we, want, we want all these other little city-states to look at us, and we want them to be envious of us. They, we want them to, to want to be like us. We, we want those people to come and be a part of what we're doing here. And so they wanted to bring fame to their city. But then the last piece that we see here is they were trying to keep the people from scattering. 
Uh, maybe if you're like me, you've read those best places to live list that come out every single year. There must be about 15 million of them from all these different organizations and publications. And, uh, and so I was looking through those um, actually this past week and looked at 2021 and two cities, two regions kept popping up. One was Boulder, Colorado, which is a, a beautiful place, uh, I assume a nice place to live. And um, the other one was the Raleigh-Durham area of, of North Carolina. Now, why are these places always listed at the top as greatest places to live? Well, they've got booming economies. They've got housing. They've got really good schools. They've got things that you can do there. I mean, everything you need and everything you would ever want that would make life comfortable is there. And that's why these places become the best places to live. I think as we look here, we see this place, the city of Babel, and I think they're saying, hey, we want to be tops on the best places to live in 3500 B.C. We want to be the place that people want to come to and, and have everything they want because the economy is great and we've got all this technology and innovations and inventions and life's comfortable here. But in the end, their idea was we don't want the people to scatter. And so how do we do that? Well, we build this tower. Let's have this one thing that the people can focus on. This one thing that we can do in sort of this communal spirit. This, this one thing. Let's build this one tower. And people will never want to leave. There's an interesting part of the story here for me. Because anytime we have a story like this, uh, there's always an antagonist. There tends to be the villain who shows up and... <laughs> What I find so interesting that in our minds as we read this, it kind of feels like God is the villain here. Because here are these people that seem to be doing great things and they're putting their skills together and abilities and they're communal and they're doing a, a, amazing work together. But God knows some things that they don't know. And God realizes what's about to happen if they continue to move down this path. Look at verse 5. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. You remember, again, if you grew up in the church and you remember the story being taught as a kid, the answer to why would God do this was so that we would have different languages and we would have different people groups. And that's probably part of it here, but there's so much more if we really kind of dive a little deeper into this. Uh, there's something else, there's some things that are happening here that, um, uh, that really make the reason God jumped in so important. For instance, one, we have humans who are attempting to control God. That's one of the reasons they're building this ziggurat, this temple on the top, so they could be closer in their minds to God, and they could access God whenever they wanted to do that, which allowed them to really set the parameters on their relationship with God. It was almost like they're saying, hey, we're in charge now. God, you're not. We'll control you. And, you know, when we need you, we'll run up those steps, and we'll have a conversation with you, and we'll look for guidance and wisdom. But, but when we don't need you, we'll come back down, and we'll just kind of hang out and do our own thing. And so in their minds, part of what they're doing is they're attempting to control God. But as they're doing this, there's another piece here. They're attempting to actually be their own God. As we read through this, there's this sense of arrogance 
that is setting in as we read these events. Again, they're saying, hey, look at what we can do together. Look at what we're building. Do you realize we're going to be famous when this is all done? And so what was life about? Life was about them. It was about what they could do. It was about their accomplishments. One of the things that we know that when arrogance sets in, we begin to think that we're better than other people. And we begin to think that we're better than God. And we also know when arrogance sets in that things usually don't get better, but we find that things get worse. And so here is God who sees this. God knows the probable outcome because of the selfishness that's, selfishness that's, that's happening there in this city. And God's like, this has got to change. I've got I've to change what's going on there. And so he does just that. But then the last thing that we find here, and the reason that God jumps into this, uh, this, this thing that they're building, the structure that they're building, is that the humans are actually disobeying God's command. Now, now you may be asking yourself, I, I don't know what command you're talking about. I don't see a command here. Well, it actually goes back to a story before Genesis 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 1. With Noah and the flood, God tells Noah and his family, he's like, your job now is to be fruitful and multiply. You need to go fill the earth. Well, guess what? You can't fill the earth when everybody's in the same city. When everybody's in the same place, when everybody's moving to this one place and this one city, you can't fill the earth. All you're doing is filling the city. And so God jumps in and changes things. God confuses the people so that they will do just that, so that they will scatter. Look at verse 8. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. Something supernatural happens here. Uh, we don't have all the details here of what takes place. God definitely jumps in. Communication is broken. They cannot speak to each other like they used to. They cannot work together because they can't communicate and they probably started looking around and trying to find people who, who are speaking a similar language to them. And, and what does that allow to happen? Well, that actually allows the scattering to take place. And, and God's command to come to fruition and where they are called to fill the earth. Look at verse 9. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. We have this group in this city who think, feel, believe, act like they know what they're doing and what they're doing is best for them. And yet God shows up in the midst of this and changes things. They stop building this tower. They stop building this city. They actually don't become famous. They become infamous because people now know about the failure of this particular group of people. They know the failure of the city. And, and in the end, they were scattered all over the earth. Now, we can look at these events in Genesis chapter 11. And what I find it to be a very strange story about 5,500 years ago. But we have to ask ourselves the question of what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this group of one-hit wonders? And I'll just go ahead and kind of lead this a little bit by saying, here's what we're going to find. 5,500 years later, we're still not much different. We're still not much different than the people that were in this city. 
In fact, let me kind of go back and look at what we just talked about of some of the reasons that you know, God jumped into the fray here. Uh, the first problem we talked about was that the, the people were trying to control God. Hey, you know what? We're still trying to control God today. And that is something I believe so many of us are trying to master. How can I control God? How can I use God when I need God? Then how can I, I kind of be my own God when I need to be my own God? Uh, Tim Cole was here a few weeks back, and he was talking about a statistic that says a regular churchgoer, I mean, again, the, the key word here is regular, a regular churchgoer attends church about 1.4 times per month. That's regular. That means consistent, okay? Now, I did a little math, not saying my math is right, not a mathematician, but um, I kind of thought, okay, we got a month, we're going to look at four weeks, I'm going to say seven days, so about 28 days, all right? That's our month here. Well, if I did my math correctly, that means there are about 672 hours that we have every single month. Here's my question. How much of that time, of those 672 hours, do we give to God? Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take that 1.4 number, and I'm going to give us the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say, hey, let's say we attend church twice a month, okay? We show up on a Sunday morning here in this place online twice a month. Let's take those two hours and subtract them from 672. Again, I think my math is correct here. That's 670 hours that are left for us every single month. Let me ask that question again. How much of that time do we give to God? How much of that 670 hours do we invest in God? Because I'm afraid what we say is those 670 hours, those, those are mine. And again, I'll connect with God when I need to connect with God. You know, when, when times are bad, when I'm struggling, when there's hurt, when there's pain in my life, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run up those stairs on that ziggurat, and I'm going to go to the very top, and I'm going to spend some time with God. But then when things are better, I'm going to run right back down, and I'm going I'm to find that time again for me. That's kind of how we live our life. That's how we try to control God is that we'll say, hey, God, I'll use you when I need you. Hey, God, I'll, I'll pray to you when I really need you. But otherwise, this time is mine. I, you're on my time schedule. I'm going to do all I can to control you. And here we are 5,500 years later, and I don't find that we're much different than the people there in the city of Babel. But then there was a second piece to this, a second issue, that the people of Babel wanted to bring fame to themselves by building this tower. Here's the deal. We're still trying to build our own towers. I don't know if you've noticed, there are people in our world who like to be noticed. And um, one of the, the key areas that I find out there are what we call social influencers of our day. Um, these are people who are making millions of dollars doing stuff that, in my opinion, seems pretty dumb. Okay? Uh, for instance, there are these top YouTubers. And uh, here's what they do. They video themselves playing video games, and people watch them video themselves as they play these video games. Like, what does that mean? I don't even understand why they do this. And yet, here's the deal. They've become pretty famous. And not only that, they're making millions of dollars. Now, I'm pretty simple. I'm thinking, I don't want to watch you play video games. I want to play video games, even though I don't really want to play. But, you know, that, that seems so much more fun than watching some of people do it. But people like to do this. 
And they're called, of course, again, social influencers. Why do they do this? For fame, I think, for money, everything that comes with it. They want to be noticed. Uh, there's other social influencers that, that give beauty tips. And again, people watch them give beauty tips. There's people I've seen, they taste cookies. And they, they video this and they tell people about the different cookies that they've tried, which actually sounds like a pretty good gig. Um, there's another one for kids. There's this family. They just open these brand new toys. And the kids, I think, they talk about the boxes and the toys. And they give information about it. Man, these parents are the, the smartest parents in the world. They're like, we don't ever have to work again in our life. These people send us toys, we video it, our kids talk about it, we make millions, they don't get jacked. They get to eat, they get a place to stay, that, that's it, right? But, but they're doing it because they're becoming famous for it. They're, they're making money off of this. And again, I'm thinking in my mind, why? This doesn't, you know, maybe I'm an old fogey now, I, I don't know. But it just doesn't make sense to me why you would do this. Well, again, people want to be noticed. People want to be famous. Now, I'm not knocking it, by the way. If you can do it and you can make money, go for it. But it's very easy for me on my side to look at that and say, hey, thankfully, that's not me. The reality is, that is me, that, that I want to be noticed, that, that I, I want fame, but I'm just looking for it in other ways very much like you may be. Look, we want to be noticed for our careers and the work that we do. Uh, we want to be noticed for the stuff that, that we accumulate. We want to be notice for the activities that we're involved in or the education that we have or the financial resources that are available to us see the reality is you and i we want to be noticed too which leads me to this question that i think is so important to answer especially looking at a story like this and these events and that question is what are you building because here's the deal. Every single one of us here, we're building something. We're building a city. We're building a tower. We're building an empire. We're building, building a name for ourselves. We're building a company. We're, we're building something. We're either building one of those things or, or we're actually building the kingdom of God. And we have to choose which one of those things are most important to, do, to us and what we want to build. Because all of us are building something. And if we're called to follow Christ, and if we follow Jesus, here's the truth. We're not called to build towers and cities and empires. We're called to build the kingdom of God here on this earth. In our last series, we looked at this passage in Matthew 28 frequently. And um, as we looked through that, it's be up here on the screen. It's, it's Jesus is saying, hey, this is your mission here on this earth. Your mission is to build the kingdom of God here. And here's what this looks like. You go. You don't come together in this one little place and you make your holy huddle and, and you never open your doors and you never scatter. Jesus never says that. Jesus says you, you go into the world. You go into these different places. You go into the community. You go into these nations. You go and you tell them my story. And you teach them to obey me. You baptize them and you disciple them. And, and you just continue to do this. This is what we're called to build. We're, we're not called to build towers. We're called to build the kingdom of God. But the question is, for you and I to answer, what are we building in our life? But then there's this third issue here that this group in this city had. They were building this tower to keep people from scattering. And of course, God jumped in and changed that. But here's the deal for us today is that God brought us all back together again. 
Now, this may be hard to kind of see in a first reading of what we read this morning, but if you really look here, what we have is a salvation story. We have a salvation story that's taking place because if we look at God's actions, we can, we can look at this and we can say, why is God being mean? Why is God the antagonist? Why is God the, the villain here? I mean, let the people do what, what they're doing here. But God was actually saving these people from themselves. He was saying, you think you know it all. You think you're smart enough. You think being together like this is the ultimate. But it's like, no, uh, only bad stuff is going to come out of you doing this. And so here we have him saying, or here we have God saying, hey, you, you've got to move on. You, you've got to, to scatter at that particular time because this is the salvation story. I, I'm here to, to help save you. Uh, if we go back to the story of Noah and the flood, the people then were pretty crazy. Uh, they were focused on themselves. They were selfish. They were wicked. And God looks at all this, and God's like, all right, got to go with the nuclear option here, right? I'm going to destroy all of humanity except for Noah and his family. And then God looks back at, at what's happened, and God's like, yeah, that might have been a little bit too much. But here we are, not too long after that has taken place, after the flood, people haven't changed, right? They're, they're still wicked. They're still selfish. They're still focused on themselves. But God actually doesn't destroy people again, doesn't destroy humanity. Here's what God does. God gives them a second chance. He's like, I know what you're doing. Your tower's going to fail. This is never going to work. This isn't what I commanded you to do. But here's the deal. I'm not going to destroy you. I'm going to give you a second chance at your life. And here we are about 5,500 years later. And because God sent Jesus to this earth, we get a second chance of life too. And that's why I love John 3.16. It says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. But we're kind of familiar with that one. It's verse 17. It kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. And I, I think it's just as powerful. It said, God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Our lives are so similar to the people of Babel. We think we have the answers. We think we know it all. We think we can take care of ourselves. And so we, we continue to build these, these towers in our life, but we make bad decisions. We, we make poor choices, and those things bring more pain and, and hurt and, and regret. But here's what God says. I'm not going to destroy you. I'm going to give you a second chance. And the cool thing about God is God doesn't just say, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to give you a third chance. And I'm going to give you a 1,456th chance. And I'm going to give you a millionth chance. You're still going to try to build these towers, but here's the deal. I'm going to keep giving you chances because you need to be saved from yourself. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to bring you all back together. And what does that look like? Well, I'm going to send Jesus to this earth to show you this unconditional love I have for you, that, that I care for you. In such a way, I'm willing to send my son to earth for you. See, that salvation story continues to this day. And it continues because of God's love for us and sending Jesus to this earth to bring us back together so that we can be focused on what's most important in life. As we look at these events from that time and what we read, I 
I see a, a couple of next steps that I think are important for us. And the first one that I would say is we've got to stop building the towers we're building. Hey, the towers we're building, they're going to fail. They're going to fall. They're not going to work. We think they're, they're bringing us to this, this place of accomplishment. But in the end, they really don't bring much at all. Again, I think they bring pain and hurt and, and regrets. And so we need to stop building these towers in our life. And what we need to start doing is truly following Jesus. I want to go back to that Vertical Horizon song from a little bit earlier. Part of the chorus at the very beginning said, He's everything you want, He's everything you need, but He means nothing to you, and you don't know why. And sometimes Jesus, and in fact, always, Jesus is all we need, and it's all we want, but sometimes we get lost in that, and we're focused on our towers, and we're not fully following Christ. And so maybe for some of us today, we've just got to be reminded Hey, I've got these 670 hours of the month. I've got to start putting them toward God and not towards me. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe you're praying a little bit more. You're reading scripture a little bit more. You're journaling. You're in a group. You're serving more. Whatever it may be, but we're giving more of our time to God because we truly want to follow Jesus. And for others of us, it may be baptism. It may be us saying, hey, in my spiritual journey, this is the step I need to take. I mean, Jesus said, go and, and to all these nations and baptize them. It's such a key part of, of who we are on this spiritual journey. Uh, that's why we have photos up in the lobby. If you walk outside, you'll see pictures of people that we've baptized this year. And we've got another group we're talking to now. We're looking forward to that. But maybe you're here and you're like, I need to take that step too. I need to give more of my 670 hours to Jesus. And I need to take the step of my spiritual journey. We'd love to hear from you. Fill out that card in front of you. You can drop it in the box in the back. If you're at home, you can click that connection card online. We'd love to help you take that step because we know there's power in that. And God sent Jesus to save us from ourselves. But then the last thing I would say is that we have to be thankful that we have a God who gives us second chances. That this God doesn't annihilate us. That this God says, hey, I'm not real happy with the direction you're going, but I still love you, and I care for you, and I'm going to give you another chance to follow me fully.